0: The person following God will be salt and light. To be salt and light is to be all eight of the beatitudes. The fifth beatitude is Matthew 5.7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The seventh is Matthew 5.9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And bridging between them is Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart. they shall see god mercy is like a powerful detergent that purifies our hearts and as the heart is purified the eyes learn a new way of seeing they come to see the presence of god in all kinds of unexpected places the pure in heart will see god jesus declares it's purity of heart that allows the eye to see the need for mercy being a peacemaker is more than just calming external conflicts between people It's also about helping them find the way to find peace within. There can be no finding peace in a heart that's self-conflicted. Blessed are the pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.
1: Kind of an interesting question for you. Let me get out a few things here. Got my bottle with the patriotic label on it for purified water and a cup to start with. Now, basic question, if you read the label on here, it says purified water. And it says uh, done by reverse osmosis. And just so we understand, there's an eight-step process they go through to purify the water. So, basic question for you: No right or wrong answer. Is this water pure? Say no. Okay. Why? Why would you say no? It looks. I can. Look, it looks crystal clear to me. Why would you say no? So the, vessel in. the vessel it's in makes it impure. And, and the plastic, too. And the plastic, so you're worse, worried about carcinogens and all of that, okay? Always something, huh? <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and, le, and le, good one, Chris. Let's go to positive illusions. Anybody who would say, it is pure? Pure as you're gonna get, right Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it tastes pretty good to me. But, you know, the, both answers are right, you know, depending on how you look at it. On one hand, it's pure. On another hand, you could say, technically, it's impure. Um, Just starting uh, with this um, thing, that we know that in these water, in the water, uh, they reintroduce minerals into it. Um, There's a number of things, and every company has its own little cocktail of of the minerals, how they put them in. And depending on whose site you go, they'll push that as a um, health aspect. But really, the bottom line is, is if those minerals aren't in there, it just doesn't taste right. You know, uh, pure, pure water. You know, get yourself some distilled water and try drinking it. It's just flat. It's, it's uh, your palate. It just doesn't like it. So they put stuff in there. <clears throat> so depending on how we look at it. It's not technically pure. There are things, even the carcinogens or whatever aside, just the fact that they do reintroduce uh, minerals back into it. It's not technically pure, but yet it's purified. It's pure enough that we can be drinking it. So pure, the idea of purity is is kind of a difficult question, isn't it? Uh, two points from all of this talking about water, is pure is a more involved word than we think. And what we see can look truly pure, but things aren't always the way they look, are they? So pure being this challenge, just to define it, we're just trying to answer a question of purity for a bottle of water. What happens when we start talking purity of the human heart, purity of of the person. And that's where we are in this very difficult question. The sixth beatitude is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's absolutely astonishing what Jesus is telling us in one short sentence. And Hopefully we can glean some stuff from this. I I think we're really kind of scratching the surface, pardon the pun. But there's a few uh, basics we need to go back to. So we're going to look at this idea of purity word by word in here. But back to just uh, revisit a few basics here. When Jesus was speaking, hey, I'll see what everybody remembers. What language was he speaking when he was speaking the Sermon on the Mount? Aramaic, so kind of a Hebrew dialect there, and so the people were hearing uh, the speech in Aramaic, and when it's disseminated to not just the Jewish culture, but to the world in general, the global language of the time, the English of the time was what? Greek, right? So between the Aramaic and Greek, we have to kind of revisit there a little bit because that's the way it was said, that's the way it was intended, and that's the way they heard it. So we jump in on this. We also need to keep in mind this, the Beatitudes aren't there all by themselves. The Beatitudes were like this beautiful base that set up what it is to be salt and light what it is to be salt and light. And to be salt and light is to be on track with God. To be salt and light is to be right with God. So the converse is true as well. To not be salt and light is to not be right with God. It's not on track with God. As a matter of fact, in the parable says, you can confess, I can confess God all I want, but if I am not salt and light, I'm trodden underfoot, I'm useless, I'm no use to God at all. So this whole salt and light thing is pretty important. So let's go through this one small sentence, word by word, or at least in groups of words. Start with this, blessed are, blessed are all the way down there in the uh, beatitudes in the hebrew the the word that would be spoken would be barak and by implication it means to bless god it means an act of adoration it means to kneel it also means to congratulate salute thank or praise this is said that way and then it's recorded in the greek which is makarios which is slightly different it means extremely fortunate, well-off, happier, congratulations. As a setup for the parable of salt and light, it means this, congratulations, you'll be happier, you are extremely fortunate, you will be acting in adoration to God if this describes you and God salutes you. Or quite simply, if this describes you, then you know you are salt and light nine times the phrase is used from eight different angles jesus says blessed are let's add a word blessed are the pure wow now we're starting to get into the loaded words aren't we we already discovered that it's kind of an involved word in ending language and to the hebrew it would be one of at least two words. They had two different words, at least in in that old ancient Hebrew. There's like the pure gold in the temple. And the word was toor, and it means physically clean. But it also means morally or ethically or ceremonially clean. It can even mean something to be fair or beautiful. On the other hand, there's a a second word, zak, which means unmixed. It's used when they're talking about not the gold of the temple, interesting enough, but the incense that they burned. It was unmixed, free from foreign substances. The word was also, here's the one that's used by the Hebrew to mean righteous. And that's what the Aramaic... Listeners at the time of Jesus would be hearing when he said this word. And there, uh, then at the, uh, this teaching spread throughout all the Greek-speaking world, and, and the word they put in there was katharos, for pure katharos. It's a really, really powerful word. That's something about the Greeks, man. They could pack a lot of meaning and a lot of punch in a word. That's what you get from a society of philosophers, I guess. It means pure as refined by fire, pure as a vine that is pruned, so it'll produce uh, fruit. It means nothing is unclean, either physically or morally. It is free from sin. It's free from admixture. It's free from falseness. Pure as in sincere, genuine, blameless, or unstained. What a huge word. What a high standard. And it's guaranteed, you know, that none of us can live up to that, no matter what we might look like on the outside. Well, let's make this even more involved, even more complicated, and add a few more words. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not only is pure a powerful word all by itself, but now let's connect it to the human heart. Depending on the culture, they use different words. We say our heart, but in some cultures back in that time, they might have said their kidneys or their bowels or their intestines. It all came down to the same thing. You were talking about the middle of a person. You're talking about the core of what that person is. I think we must have followed along with the Greeks, because in the Greek, they used the word cardia, which... Not hard to make that reach, cardia, sounds uh, very much like how we say about the heart. And they were talking about the physical and the spiritual center of the person, the physical or spiritual center of a person. It's the seat of your thoughts. It's the seat of your spiritualness. It's a seat of your desires, your appetites, your affections, your purposes, and your endeavors. It was the seat of your intelligence, your will, and your character. In effect, it's the core. It's the essence of who you are. So to say pure in heart means there's nothing mixed in the essence of who you are. Wow. Jesus isn't asking much, is he? Nothing mixed in the entire essence of a person. That's a lot to strive for. Yeah, we're all... Imperfect. We're all, if we're lucky, we're like this water. We still have reintroduced minerals in us of some kind. But are we striving for this? Are we striving for that? How many ways can we be mixed? How many ways is the human heart mixed? (coughs) We can be mixed subtly, maybe not even realizing it. We can be mixed and be well aware of it, but we carry on that way anyway. We can be mixed in motives. I'm becoming more and more aware uh, of just how easy it is for the human being to have mixed heart, mind, and will, even just within myself. So easy to be mixed. And I find a question More and more, I and other Christians should ask ourselves, is why? Why? Why is a big question is that we do good church stuff? Great, but why? Motive is a big deal. Why are we doing what we're doing? We may be acting in kindness, we might be acting in sacrifice, we might just be nice. But is it being like Christ, or are there other motives mixed in? It's a legitimate question to ask, because you know what? This question was with us from the beginning of the New Testament. Just the book of Acts, here we are, the church is starting up. Who do we have in there? We have Ananias and Sapphira give a significant contribution to the church but it was with mixed motives. They lied to the Holy Spirit. It cost them dearly. We have Simon the sorcerer who desired the Holy Spirit as much as anyone else ever did, but the motive was to use in his own magic. Motive is a big deal. The question why is a big deal. And there was an army of evangelists and, and, and itinerant pastors and, and And teachers claiming the teaching of Christ going all over the known world, but they were doing it in order to earn money. They were doing it in order to gain power and even to seduce uh, the naive. Mixed motives, mixed motives. We all need to inspect our motives under God's light, not just what we think in ourselves, under God's light Himself. Even the people who preach. I love this little story, this vignette from William Barclay. He tells a story of the renowned uh, preacher and writer John Bunyan. Anybody familiar with John Bunyan? Pilgrim's Progress? Read that? Anybody familiar with Paul Bunyan? <laughs> Just ask and see where we sit. <laughs> Careful, I'll give you the ax. That's an inside joke there. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was a really renowned preacher in his day, and this happened on a Sunday, a particularly powerful sermon that he had given. And somebody came up after to him and said, that was a wonderful sermon, and he replied very sadly, and he says, yes, I know, the devil told me as I was coming down from the pulpit. You can do anything... And the motive can destroy it. Mixed, unmixed. Purity, huh. We can be mixed in our commitment. It's a busy world. It's a persecuting world. It's hard to stay on track, even for the best of us. But when it comes down to following Christ, how mixed are our commitments? How mixed are they? When it comes to the ministries that God opens up for us, how committed are we to following through what he opens up? We can be mixed in our main objectives. And that can be personally, or it can be collectively. What does this church want to do? What's the vision of the church. And by vision, I don't mean what we dream up, I mean the mandate from Christ as we understand it. Do we want to be a biblical church? Okay, then how thoroughly do we actually follow biblical mandates? Do we exercise forgiveness like the scripture says? Scripture has many examples of mentoring. Do we intentionally mentor? How's our unity going? An interesting indicator, and, and this came up once or twice, it'll come up even more. Is here is this blessing recently, even of finances, a windfall, and there's nothing like money to show your true colors. I'm just curious, I have no vision for it. I'm just be interested to see what the church does <coughs> with the money that God has given it. We can be mixed in our understanding. The wisdom of God is bottomless. We'll never understand it all. I know, Kevin, we talk about your dad all the time, but amazing at the end of his life how much he he got at the end where it was like he never knew anything before. It's bottomless. It's bottomless. So how much of that do we understand? How much is our understanding of Scripture mixed? How much of it is 90% Bible, 10% church tradition. Or 90% Bible, 10% what the world whispers in the other ear. After all, you've got to stay up with the times, right? Imagine this on the personal. Imagine you're like Nicodemus. If you remember this Pharisee who wanted to know what Jesus was talking about, and so he comes in the middle of the night, and they're having a very intimate and pointed conversation, and Jesus is pointing out the blind spots, he's pointing out the gaps, even in this man who knew so much about his faith, he's pointing out intentions and all of this stuff. If that was you, and you go home tonight, and the doorbell rings, in comes Jesus, and you and Jesus are sitting on your couch having this conversation, how many gaps would he point out? How many problems, how many mixed messages in your understanding? And the bottom line, and if you're like me, it would probably be a very stimulating, a very blessed, but a very painful conversation. How humble are we that by the end of that conversation we would actually receive the counsel he gave? Well, here's one for you, Is Jesus is giving counsel to us all, all the time, through brothers and sisters, through Scripture, through what he brings in our lives. How mixed or unmixed are we there? How mixed are we, as it says in the Greek term, how mixed are we in our passions, in our affections, in our appetites? And we know, let's just be honest, we know this is a problem in the church. How do we know? How many moral failures of church leaders could you mention off the top of your head? Or how much wrong has gone on in a church because of self-indulgence? And it, it just leads to other things that go on, which is a kind of a, a, an add-on fact here. In the human heart, when we have impurities, impurities attract impurities. Impurities attract impurities. Take, for instance, self-indulgence. Just take that—so innocent it seems. All I want is something to stimulate my endorphins. I just want to be feeling satisfied, and I—I I have these little holes somewhere inside that I fill up from different things, and that very. Um, Emptiness causes us to maybe get into substance abuse or promiscuity or some other type of failure, but it all started from one thing, self-indulgence. We were mixed from the beginning, and other things just kept coming in. Ultimately, it comes down to the sin nature. That's what's in the mix. Let's add some more words. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. I don't know about you, but this amazes me, is that this whole thing about purity, the promise, and there's a promise with each beatitude, but the promise with purity is sight. Blessed are the pure, they'll be able to see. Kind of an amazing, amazing thing. Purity and sight. Now the ancient Greek had at least six different words for see, and the one used here, its meaning is this, and if this doesn't fit, to voluntarily gaze with wide open eyes at something remarkable. Of all the words, the one used here is to voluntarily gaze with wide open eyes at something remarkable. That is the promise for the pure. How does sight fit in with the pure? Well, first off, the pure can see themselves. They can see themselves, and because they can see themselves, they can see others as they are. Got a question for you here. Have you, uh, yourself, or have you ever witnessed someone intentionally or unwittingly projecting themselves on another? That's a psychological term. It's uh, actually psychology uses this. Uh, Paul gives this advice to a young minister, and he was in this unenviable position where he was going to take the church in Crete. Now, if we live back in that day and says, where are you going to pastor Crete? Oh, man, I'm sorry. You got to deal with the Cretans. That's uh, that's pretty harsh. So he's giving them uh, this young fellow some advice. And this idea of purity and projection comes into it. So Titus 115 goes like this. TO THE PURE ALL THINGS ARE PURE, BUT TO THOSE WHO ARE DEFILED IN UNBELIEVING, NOTHING IS PURE. THERE'S A LINE TO LOCK IN YOUR HEAD. TO THE PURE ALL THINGS ARE PURE, BUT TO THOSE WHO ARE DEFILED IN UNBELIEVING, NOTHING IS PURE. BUT EVEN THEIR MINDS AND CONSCIENCE ARE DEFILED. THEY PROFESS TO KNOW GOD, BUT IN WORKS THEY DENY HIM. THEY PROFESS TO KNOW GOD, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Psychology would uh, define projection this way. Unconscious discomfort can lead people to attribute unacceptable feelings or impulses to someone else to avoid confronting them. Projection allows a difficult trait to be addressed without the individual fully recognizing it in themselves. A worker who maybe knows that he's really slack on the job accuses a co-worker of not pulling his own weight. A person is always angling for something with an ulterior motive, so they perceive everyone else as being sneaky. A person is lustful or greedy or dirty-minded or judgmental, and what will they project on other people? It's human nature. It is so easy. I'm not even pointing fingers because it is so easy for the human heart to project its own sin on others. One of the signs of impurity. And here's the thing about this impurity. Here's the thing about this Failing to recognize our own need for cleaning up is we lose our sight. To be impure is to be blind. To be impure is to be blind. Blind to ourselves. Blind to others when so we don't truly know them. And we don't truly see at all. If you don't see what is real, do you really see at all? And if you don't truly see, and if a group of us don't truly see, how can there be Christian unity? And if you can't see yourself, how can you possibly see God? Purity allows you to see. Purity and sight. Our heart, our will, conscience, our essence, it's like the, this bottled water. It makes so much sense. Here, here's, uh, I am now Brenda Anderson at VBS. Water and color stuff. <laughs> but you can't get, it's so simple, but it's so hard to get away from. There we are. Can we be this pure? Oh, well, there's a little impurity in me, I can still kind of see there's wrong, but he's all blue now. And, and impurity attracts impurity, especially if I don't take care of it. And now I'm, I'm more, and I'm more, and I'm more, until I hit the point that I cannot see you, I cannot see myself, and I certainly cannot see God. Purity, that important, that important. <clears throat> The pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will not be clouded. The pure in heart, the promise is ultimately we will see God face to face. We will see God in full manifestation. That's what the promise is. But the promise doesn't start in the future. It starts now. The sight starts now. By this promise, we will see where God is in this life. We'll see, as the pure in heart, we'll see where he is working right now. As the pure in heart, we'll see where he is not working. As the pure in heart, we'll see him in other people. In the pure in heart, we'll see the fruit that he's bearing in them. We'll see what he's up to. We'll see his footprints in the sand as it goes. We will know where he's going. The pure in heart will know where God wants them to go. There is sight in purity. Sight in purity. Flip side, in impurity, there's blindness. Pretty important stuff, isn't it? Pretty important stuff going on. Put it all together, what a powerful statement. One tiny little line, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the potential, it's mind-blowing it, but it demands deliberate choice. You just aren't pure by accident. It demands an intentional striving. Yes, none of us are perfect, but what's your vision? What are you striving for? towards. It requires a heart that just won't settle. I'm not going to tell you how you become pure in heart, but Scripture will. It's in your bulletin, but I'm going to just read it anyway. Psalms, you want to be pure in heart, here we go. Psalms 139.23, search me, O God. Start there. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Try me and know my ways. And when you do that, see if there is any wicked way in me. And if there is, lead me in the way everlasting. 2 Timothy 2.22 So flee youthful passions. I almost think that word should be childish. But so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. I hope this is pure like you say, Chris. I'm trusting it's, it's a little better than Steve thought. <laughs> and the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone, <clears throat> able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Not that we don't correct them. Once again, it's why are you correcting them and how are you correcting them? Passions, as it's written in there, can also be lust. Simply, as it's defined, longing for what is forbidden. Righteousness, as it's defined in there. To be in a state as one ought to be. Implication, that a condition that's acceptable to God. How do we become pure in heart? Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and God, the God of peace, will be with you. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-two. Just to put this all into context, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. It is not for your sake, O Israel, and I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put them within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Bottom line on that, why you can trust the promises because they're not up to you. God doesn't want to make you pure because, well, you're a little purer than everyone else. He's doing it for his own sake, for his holy name. And that's a good thing, because God never fails in anything. Just some points to take away with us, just some thoughts. Can we be honest enough? Can we be honest enough with ourselves that we can be that honest with God? If we can't then we'll see God. Can we be intentional enough to flee what God hates and meditate on what God loves and do it as a way of life? If we can, then we'll see God. Can we be open enough to allow God to take out our old hearts, all of them, nothing left to mix, and put in a new one, If we can, then we'll see God. And if we can't, we will not. If we can, we will see God. If not, then we won't. To be salt and light is to see God. To see God is to be pure in heart. To be pure in heart is to be very intentional, committed in the form of how you follow God the question why comes up again and again. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready? Even before we leave this room, what's your intention? And you do whatever you want. You interpret it however you want, but according to the mouth of Christ, this is the way you will see God or you will not. Are we ready for that?